Good evening, everyone. Welcome. My name is John Lip, director of the Film Festival. Thank you all for being here at our conferences. Uh, so, we are going to be talking about audience building, marketing, and publicity. So, we have with us our, our speakers. We have R.J. Millard of Obscure Pictures. So, you can come on down. And we have Celeste Erlinger of Vice. Okay. So why don't we begin by asking, I'll start with Celeste, if you could tell us a little bit about your experience. I know you were at Amazon Studios, now you're at uh, Vice, and then we'll move on to Arctic. So go ahead. Uh, just my experience. Yeah. Oh, yeah, just make sure. Yeah, just like, yeah, what, what kind of you know, we do, how you well, started for you, and how you got to where you are now. Hi, everyone, I'm Celeste. Um, I went to uh, film school at NYU Tisch and I office PA for about a year and a half. Uh, I was working at The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel. You guys are familiar with the show. Um, super fun. Um, all of the actors are actually really nice. Um, and then I, a few months ago, transitioned to Vice. I'm at the Williamsburg office, and I'm working as an archival assistant um, in the archival department, which means I'm kind of working on documentary and news um, and stuff like that. Hello, I'm RJ. Um, I run a marketing publicity and sales company here in New York called Obscured Pictures. We uh, represent filmmakers uh, both with and without distribution, trying to help people find film festival strategies, do sales at smaller film festivals, create a marketing publicity campaign, and then sometimes if a filmmaker has their own funds and they have a VOD deal that they want to put in place, then we'll help you do a self-distribution and get your project actually into theaters in New York, LA, and around the country, uh, and kind of help you roll it out through various forms of, of, of window it. So, who we have to? Uh, so Celeste, as Ms. Baisley worked on and projects are currently working on, uh, how are some of these productions using social media to sort of build their audience uh, before production, during production, and even in the distribution phase? I'd say for uh, The Marvelous Mrs. Maisel, um, they're pretty aggressive about it, but in a friendly way, they have um, a bunch of pop-ups that they do in New York, which some people might have gone to it. Um, they have one in LA for parts of the country, which is really fun. It's a very immersive experience. Um, the social media is very on-brand. They have interaction between the actors and, and viewers. Um, so I, I think their social media is really strong. They even have um, some stuff for different Jewish holidays, which is really fun. Um, and then with Vice, which is more news documentary-based, not fiction, obviously, um, they're very intense about their social media. They'll have early releases, um, or if there's breaking news, they'll do a little bit, a little segment on that. Um, and they also have their online websites and stuff like that. Okay. And and RJ, uh, when you were the same thing, you know, when you, when you were at Focus, you were at Samuel Oldman, Obscure Pictures, how do, you, how do you utilize social media to kind of get the word out about the projects you represent? I mean, it's funny, we don't really focus on the social side. There are a couple of agencies in New York and LA that do that for film campaigns. Um, we're more geared towards how to build your film in terms of the industry profile and then actually uh, parlay that into a public setting. So a lot of what we do is working with filmmakers who are independent to develop that festival strategy and actually get your films into a film festival, because that's really your first exposure. You don't really want to build too much of a social profile until you have a public format. I always caution filmmakers, do not put exclusive images, lots of clips, lots of sound bites online before you have a public 
clicks because unfortunately you're basically giving away your audience before they get a chance to see it and spend money, whether it's to a film festival or whether it's to theatrical. So I always say just go with a lot of behind the scenes stuff, go with personal stories, like why you wanted to make this movie, here I am on set doing this, that, and the other, here are my actors, but don't give away scenes, don't give away plot points, don't give away much about your film, because those assets are invaluable to us in terms of releasing your film and getting into a film festival. I'll tell you right now, every programmer I know goes online to see what social profile the film has before they actually choose it, because if there's too much out there, they're like, well, where's the thrill? Where's the discovery? Why are people going to come see this movie in my theater if there's already like three or four minutes or in one case, I had a filmmaker who had 20 minutes of their film, which was 70 minutes online in various clips. And they literally went after the seminar and pulled it all down and we went back and continued the conversation. So we always wait until you have that first big moment publicly so we can actually talk about it. And that's when you'll start to develop your audience in a big way. Um, and from that, then you want to try and find people who can help you actually expand it, which is what you know, Vice does so well. Uh, for the projects that you've seen through Amazon and, and Advice, is crowdfunding something that you're seeing a lot of now? I wouldn't say so much um, with them just because they're so big, but I'd say from my personal experience also as a filmmaker, it's huge. Like, it's definitely something that my colleagues and I, you know, when we have our passion projects on the side, it's something we're always trying to revamp and deal with it in a new way. Do you find that the crowdfunding helps build the community and build an audience? even before production even begins? I would say so. Um, I think you do have to be careful about how much you tap your, your network or your community. You, know, you don't want to go to your community or audience that you've built and keep asking for money. You know, you also want to make sure that they feel like their time and, and their money and their support is appreciated. So I think it's important to, um, it's nice to have like events, like some of my friends have had um, like parties where the drinks cost money, and that's how they fundraise. But at the same time, you know, just you know, you get to see your friends, and they talk about the films. It's something kind of like that. If that makes sense. And RJ, also for projects that you represent, do uh, do you have filmmakers that had an audience even before they started the production through something like crowdfunding? Is it yeah, I mean, a lot of times people come and, and look. I mean, I'm assuming how many of the of the room are filmmakers. So it's like two-thirds. I mean, it's hard to make money. It's hard to raise money. It's hard to get these projects off the ground. It's hard to get a movie even finished after you have the money and you've made the thing. Like, actually, then get into an audience and get into a film festival. No, it's all hard, let's be honest. Um, so hopefully, that process will actually give you an initial seed of people who actually give a shit about what you're making, because they would invest in it, and that's the point. Uh, the challenge is always, for me, is Filmmakers come into this and they're like, oh, I'm going to, once again, give away the, what's the phrase, give away the car before the milk or something. I don't know, you all get it. Um, if you go and you crowdfund and you say, oh, I'm going to give everybody who's part of the film and gave money, we're going to have all the DVD and we're going to do private screenings for all of you and all this stuff, just know that those obligations that you make to your funders, A, you need to deliver on them, and B, don't expect anybody else to pay for that. So I get a ton of filmmakers who come to me like, oh, we did this amazing Kickstarter or GoFundMe or whatever. We need to, now that we have distribution, we need you to pay for 10 screenings around the country and drinks and food and whatever. That's not in my contract. Like, that is all upon you guys as a filmmaker that if you legally go back to it, the LLC is responsible for that, not the distributor. So just know whatever you're promising up front is you have to pay back. So be cautious about that and build more experiences. Like she was saying, like, 
have people come out and do, uh, like, I always love going to table readings of scripts. I think it's totally fun, it's unique. If you're not in the film industry, it's, you're like, what the fuck is this? How is this happening? I can't really see it. And you see these actors start to, like, read the lines and get excited about something. And it's kind of a unique experience that you get to go be part of. <clears throat> so the, the point of crowdfunding, yes, it's the money, but it's also building on networks and connections. And so if you can take those people who have helped you raise money and then have them do another fundraiser for you, or when you do your screening at your first film festival, wherever it is, have them host a cocktail at their house. It's that kind of stuff, and that way they have a reason to bring in more people. Because it literally becomes like, it needs to be like a mushroom cloud and get bigger and bigger and bigger. That's the only way you're going to find an audience and develop one. Uh, Celeste, much of what you do is in the online space, Amazon, Vice, etc. Do you uh, recommend still going theatrical first before releasing a film online? I, I would say it truly depends on the content as well as it, is, it does depend on the budget. Um, you know, theatrical is obviously much more expensive than online, at least in my experience. Um, and sometimes, you know, for short films, for instance, um, those are really fun to see on the big screen, but in terms of their shelf life, it's probably better to be online, so perhaps you only do an online release, and that's totally strong, and people will watch it, but I just, I think it depends on the, the content and, and also the budget. RJ, also for you, what do you, what do you tell your clients if it, somebody comes to you like, oh, we just got at the Sundance and, you know, we're getting some offers, do you, do you recommend going theatrical first or? I mean, look, theatrical is totally a money loser. Let's be honest. There's no, I mean, it's, I think the success rate they say for films is less than 3% of what movies are made and what movies actually make money. So if you want to do theatrical, just know that you're going to be in the hole immediately, like from the dinner time that you do your production. The way that most deals are structured, you're going to get back money off of the, once the distributors made back the advance they gave you for the film, if there is one, because these days there's not much of an advance anymore, then they're going to charge back all the P&A budget to you. So say it's a million dollars, that's on a generous day. Then unfortunately they're only getting 35 to 42% back from the theater. So if, the, if your movie is good enough to make a million dollars, or lucky enough, not really good enough, Looking after a million dollars, the distributor's only getting $420,000 of that max. So they're still in the hole, whatever the advance was, call it $100,000 plus the $580,000. So until they make back that $580,000, they're not giving you a penny. So just look at the math of that, it's really, really tough. Whereas if you're going onto VOD platforms, most distributors will give you a straight 50 50 split right off the bat. So if there's an advance, great. You'll get, you save $25,000, $100,000, you have to wait till you make that back and on 50-50 split, then they'll give you whatever. Um, then they'll charge you some encoding and if there's any P&A costs, fine. But those are all pretty negligible. But from my perspective, the fastest way to get to your audience is to go online, because what you're doing is you're hitting a national audience. So any publicity that you're doing, any festival awareness that you have, any marketing that you put into it, dollar-wise, effort-wise, time-wise, is directly able to be made money off of immediately. So not a lot of people want to hear that, but I can tell you I've been doing some version of what I do for 25 years. Nothing has changed. The industry has not changed more drastically than it has in the last two years. At this point in time, probably two-thirds of my business are streamers between Netflix, Amazon, Apple. That was not the case two years ago. They were less than a quarter. And now in that time, it's just wildly flipped. And it's going to get worse because as soon as Disney Plus hits, 
and as soon as Apple TV becomes its real thing, basically people are going to stay home and watch the 10 services they have for $10, as opposed to going out to the movies, and with five people going to the movies, it's $50 plus four hours of your time. And if you're spending like $12 on a service and you watch them and you don't like it the first five minutes, you just click over something else. But if you've already invested in the movie, you're there for four hours, and your night's fucked. You're just like, why? So you have to weigh that. And I, I totally get the theatrical. I just go see movies. I probably see about, I did the count. I think I see about 300 movies a year, um, both in theaters and festivals and online. Uh, and there's no greater joy than me to see like a random film I've never heard about in a theater and film festival. Nothing is better than that. But I watch probably 60% of the movies on my laptop. Uh, Celeste, do you find that uh, a lot of the content that you're putting out is starting at festivals first? Are they utilizing the festival circuit first, or are people going right to, to the online world? Yeah, are the festivals, are they using festivals, or are people going right straight to Amazon, straight to Vice? I'd say it's a mix. Um, I think the especially with my colleagues and I, like we have always looked, like my generation, we've always looked up to festivals as kind of the way that distribution has worked. I know that's changing, as you said, um, online is very strong and streaming is just as good, if not better. Um, so I think some people are starting to realize that and going straight for streaming and digital and putting all their money there and finding success, you know, on the back end. Like, honestly, with Maisel, it's winning all these Emmys and they're on Amazon and that's it. They're not... Um, obviously it's a TV show, but I mean the same thing can be said for movies. I think people still are trying for festivals and there's a lot to be had there, but I think people are realizing there's a lot more opportunity online. Yeah, RJ, you're talking about the theatrical world is kind of changing. A lot of people are clearly staying home more, as you said. I mean, I, a couple of films I saw in the last year, it was like opening weekend or in the first couple of weekends, and it was like, you know, big block, big blockbuster film. There wasn't too many people in, in, in the theater, so um, clearly the theatrical world should be. But what about like what about festivals? Like, is that still something that you think people are going to continue with, or do you think that's even going to? Is people filmmakers just start going right to Amazon Direct or whatever Vimeo? Yeah, I mean, I, I think festivals are going to become the only version of theatrical for independent films and like left in probably less than five years. Uh, except for like the two or three percent that make the make it into that world, um, there is a world in which festivals can become money makers. Uh, there are a couple companies who basically just book your film into various film festivals throughout the year. So, you know, the big ones like Sundance, Cannes, Toronto, Berlin, they won't pay, but some of the smaller film festivals will pay you five hundred dollars, thousand dollars, depending on how many seats you've got. And I've had filmmakers travel and do a two-year circuit and just literally travel with their film for two fucking years. God bless them, I couldn't do it. I would be so bored out of my mind. But if that's your passion, do it. I also work with this guy, Gary Hustwood, who I don't know if anybody knows. He did Objectified and Urbanized and Helvetica. Super cool filmmaker, amazing. He literally will tell everybody, like, I will never go to a distributor. What he does is he makes these movies with a very defined audience, and in most cases it's design or something like that. And he then goes on the circuit. And so he'll book himself in every art museum between here and Shanghai. And he'll basically travel for six to eight months, and he'll do these bookings where he's getting paid 2500 plus travel. So he can do two or three of those a week. So $5,000 a week is not a bad income. And so he'll make that circuit for like seven months or eight months, 
and then he'll go out and make another movie, and then he'll do the same thing. He's now done this on five films. We did, we did Urbanized and Rams, and then we went around for Helvetica and uh, Objectify, but that's what he does. And so you kind of have to find your own path as a filmmaker and figure out what model works for you based on your subject. Because the subject is so important now. It's, I, I wish I could say the quality was the top thing, but now it's like, if you have an amazing subject, you'll, you'll, you will do okay. I mean, who thought that the Ruth Bader Ginsburg movie was gonna make $10 million? She's amazing, badass and cool, but still, $10 million. She outgrossed most independent films last year. So that is kind of what you need to look for as a filmmaker, is finding some story that is wholly unique and it has a definable audience that we can go get. Because I have a fil filmmaker who tells me, like, oh, my movie's for everybody, it's a totally universal store, and like, then no one is going to see it. I'm sorry, but it's just, it's too hard to market to everyone because we don't have enough money. So we have to find those niches, whether it's LGBT or women's issues or uh, Israel-Palestine conflict or something that we can grasp onto that we can go to all the groups and all the film festivals to target because they're so vital to getting out the word. Um, so that's, I think that's kind of, I didn't even answer your question. Yeah, well, it's, yeah, I mean, so, you, so, so, so sort of like the niche market is kind of a good move for independent filmmakers. Now. It's like somebody once said something like, uh, the larger your audience is, the less people are actually going to end up seeing it, right? So. Yeah. You really have to define audience. Does anybody have any questions from the audience? Uh, all right, why don't we, oh yeah, let's start in the middle right there. I, I was just curious in terms of like, I know in the, in the film world, there's like a conventional wisdom is not to show it, that's what we're saying. But in terms of like web series, is it better to put that in line? Try to build an audience so then you can see more funding for that series, but you have a you have a following, now you don't know, or wait until it's been in festivals and then like how would you approach that? Web series, write that online, go festivals first. I would say um, I think either route will give you different results or I think it depends. I know um, I'm part of a festival right now, and a bunch of um, people who submitted submitted their web series, and you know we've allowed like they're going to screen it at our festival, and that will boost their web series and give them exposure and you know an opportunity to network and talk to people. So that's great, and they are putting their content out there only in the festival world, but at the same time they're you know gaining a platform. However, if you are applying to festivals and you're just not getting in, or like you need some more funding, I'd say doing a more grassroots approach and trying to build your audience so that you get attention and people are like, hey, like, you know, they are trying to make this web series, they need some support, they have all these people who are behind them, there's really something here, there's, you know, a diamond in the rough. So I, I think it depends perhaps where you are, budget-wise, are you getting into festivals or not? Roger, web series, would you go... I have to say I'm not the best person to talk about this because I I'm hardcore film. I've never done a series. I don't have any of it. <laughs> All right, yeah, uh, right. Up, uh, yeah, right Okay. 
wait to repeat that question though. Can you ask it one more time? Yeah. Extreme Okay, so how would you use a streaming service? Uh, like, what's, like, what can the streaming service offer you in order to... Well, I think she's talking about Windows. So does everybody know what Windows are? So your first, like the first two windows, theatrical, then you've got, in the past you used to have cable, and then online, and then you'd have airlines and cruises, and then you have educational, and then you have non-theatrical, which are like museums. And all of those had kind of windows where Theatrical window used to be 90 days, so you had to release some theaters, you couldn't do anything else until 90 days was passed. And that was established by the theater chains, and they all kind of agreed to that. And now they're seeing that that's changing rapidly, and Netflix has kind of said, and so everything is kind of shifting. So you've seen in the last year, now Amazon's starting to do these sort of truncated windows, and IFC and a couple other companies like Magnolia have done sometimes day and day releases. So they'll do a, a release in theaters, but also go on VOD on the same exact day. That's what a day and day means. Um, sorry if I'm being redundant from some, I'm just trying to talk broadly. Uh, and the way that that works is that there are certain chains that will allow that to happen. So the smaller houses like IFC and Landmark and say the Lemleys in Los Angeles and the smaller theaters like the Brattle and in Boston and the Cambridge Coolidge Corner, that kind of stuff, they will do this. But AMC, Regal, Cinemark, Cineplex will not. So as soon as you go with a streamer or you go day and date, all those theaters are out of the mix for you. So if you're looking to do, on an independent it doesn't really matter because most of the time you're not getting into those theaters anyway. But if you're trying to go wide, which is technically 1,500 screens in the U.S. or more, there's no way you're going to get to that unless you're maintaining the 90, now it's it kind of lowered it to like 75 day window um, in some instances. So that's why you're seeing when Netflix goes out with a film, for example, the Martin Scorsese film this year, The Irishman, is going to be on Netflix, but they're going to do a theatrical window that they want to qualify for. And they're going to do the New York Film Festival, they're, they're opening it. Right, they're doing New York Film Festival, but they still would have to go into theaters and qualify for two, at least seven days before they go onto Netflix in order to qualify for Academy Award consideration. And that's huge for them. They, and Netflix loves an award, which is totally admirable. I, don't, I do too. Uh, but as soon as you basically break down that traditional theatrical window, you lose so many opportunities. So what they're looking to do is they'll work with a theater like, a chain like the Landmark or Lemley, and they'll book out theaters in LA and New York so they can qualify, but they'll typically have to pay for those theaters. It's a process called four-walling. So if you do a self-distribution deal or you're doing an Academy Award run for a documentary or whatever, you four-wall a theater, and that means you buy the theater for four showtimes a day in New York and Los Angeles, because you have to do both states, or both cities, and then you're paying anywhere between eight and $15,000 for that week to buy out the theater. Theater makes money, guaranteed, right? You guys get to qualify as filmmakers, and then it doesn't really matter what you do with it after that. Because you've now qualified for the Academy, you can go straight to VOD after that seven day window, and Bob's your uncle, all's fine. But Amazon is now changing over to certain films are gonna go two week windows in theaters, and then on to Amazon Prime. So I think it was already announced, and if it does, 
wasn't, my apologies, because you'll read it here before you read about it. Um, something like the report, which is the Adam Driver film about the Dan Jones report, the torture report that was done on the CIA. That film is going into theaters for two weeks, limited release, because they can only go into certain theaters, and then they'll go on to Amazon Prime exactly two weeks later. That's advantageous in an awards play, because you're getting a ton of people to see it, but it does diminish your ability to get into theaters. So that's the downside. Did that answer most of the question? <laughs> it didn't answer the question. Okay. Okay. We had a question for yes, okay. And the question is, does Vice buy material and content from independent filmmakers or do they produce their own content? Or is it a combination? Yeah. That's a really good question. Um, we have a lot of different sections or departments, if you will, within Vice. Um, we have the Vice News Tonight, which is actually um, taking a hiatus soon, but that's an in-house production with the news team, Vice News. And then we also have Vice Land, which um, has more traditional shows, um, like one of them is most expensive, or there's a bunch, and they are still in-house, but they are also working with third-party production companies like um, Mustache, um, and, and so how that works is that we have a contract with that third-party, um, but all of the sort of logistics are done within the Vice umbrella. They use all of our subscriptions. Um, stuff like that. So, big picture, um, there's a lot of, it's mostly all in-house, it's all based in-house, um, but then we have contracts with third parties that are closely joined together, if that makes sense. Does that, did that answer your question? Um, we have a lot of independent contractors, or a lot of freelancers. Um, it's more so that at least how it works right now is more so that the there will be a project that in there for producers. Um, certainly producers will bring ideas to higher ups, you know, if they've established a relationship, but it's more so that the product all the projects are developed in-house and then there's outreach and then depending on how it goes, people will be like, Oh, I have this idea it gets approved or it doesn't get approved. Um, it's it's all it's all vice out. If that makes sense, but it's it's like a stack. Yes. Okay. Responses, the lack of feeling like you're a priority, 
And in that case, um, there are one or two tacks. One, you call in a heavy hitter, somebody who's kind of an industry jerk or a rabble rouser like myself, and be like, hey, I'm going to hire somebody to work with me on this for 10, you know, 10 minutes or 10 months or however long you want to do it and can afford it. And we can go in there and either create some, stir some shit up and get some answers, or we'll come up with an alternate plan so that you're basically driving traffic to them. Because some, I mean, you guys have all have been on Netflix, you kind of see how it works. You've got these sort of genres and these buckets that they start to put films into. And if you, if you, if your film fits into the algorithm of enough things, then your film will get more promotion. I can't remember, it, it isn't exactly this person, but I think the most matrixed or most algorithm person on Netflix was somebody like Harper Howard because they happened to be in enough movies with enough other people that were getting traction, so he was like the most known person. And like I said, it wasn't Rucker Howard, but something like John Pavadale, something very similar, you're like, who the fuck cares? Like, why is this guy like supporting? But that's why and how Netflix is now choosing what projects to make. They're seeing what works on the algorithm. And so it's all data-driven. And that's terrifying and awful, because they're basically just making projects that feel like other projects. That's why you see like a hundred stand-ups, and they all sound the same. So with, if you're in there, if you sell your phone to Netflix or Amazon or whoever, even a theatrical distributor, you may just not get the kind of attention you want, and so you kind of need to either stand up for yourself, say, no, this is bullshit, I really want, I went with you guys because you sold me passion pitch, and you told me you could love this movie, and blah, 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 or you need to do it yourself. It's literally the only two options. Um, and then in terms of the other question, remind me. Uh, things like filmmakers should be doing oh, at festivals. At film festivals? Yeah. Oh my god, meet as many people as you can. If you go to a film festival and you stay in your hotel room, I will kick your ass. Like, <laughs> you are always going to be your biggest supporter, your biggest advocate, your biggest bullhorn. Like, I need you to basically sell your project, because I can't. I mean, I can basically talk to everybody I know, but you know the project better than I do. You're always going to be able to talk about it more intelligently. So I look for these nuggets of like, okay, what do you want to do? Who do you want to be? What's the storyline? And then I try and match you up with the right people. I, I like to refer to ourselves as film, like filmmaker advocates. So we'll go out and talk to anybody possible. But at the end of the day, if you're... There are two people I won't work with. Um, dumb assholes. I will totally work with really smart, nice people. I will absolutely work with really dumb, super, like, mean, like super, like, no, I'm missing the point. Yes, I will work with people who are really smart, but kind of assholes. I will work with really nice, dumb people, but I will not work with dumb assholes. So know that this film industry literally is like the tiniest industry on the planet. I know probably 90% of people who work in it because I've been here for a long time, and I will talk. And everybody else will talk too. And so I can tell you all the filmmakers who are the worst to work with. I won't work with them. There are a bunch of people who won't do it either. And there are a bunch of film festivals who won't do it either. Because you get a reputation pretty quick. So know your films, figure out how to sell it, and then once you get there, once you use one of us to get yourself into a film festival, go out there, make friends super fast. My biggest advice is go stand in the line while you're waiting for your film to start. There's a waiting list of people probably waiting to get in your film. Go talk to all of them. Literally, that is the best way you can do to make friends with people and actually get them to like your film more than they might if they didn't know you and actually then get all their emails. And so after the movie, you can respond to them and you can get them on social media, you can DM them on Instagram, all that shit. That's how you build a brand, as a filmmaker and on the individual project. So. Yeah, it was about, some years ago, I was at the Hollywood Film Festival and Craig Brewer was there showing his first film. And he comes over and he's like, hey, come see my movie. I didn't know who he was. And 
was like, all right, I, you know, he's really nice. I'm going to see him a couple years later. Hustle and Flow came out, and then everything's going from there. Any, any other uh, questions? Yes, go ahead. Talking about all social media, do you care about how many followers people have? question is, are you concerned with how many followers people have on social media when you release a project? I'd say, um, as someone who is actually trying to work to build his social media following on an account for a film I worked on, um, unfortunately, yes. But at the same time, and kind of going back to the last question, like speaking on social media still, but um, you know, like social media is important, and I also think it isn't. Um, I think that it's important to have a very cohesive brand, like have a website, have an Instagram, have a Facebook, have a Twitter maybe, but it needs to all be cohesive. If you don't have a lot of followers, that's okay. You can go to festivals and tell people and then, you know, get those followers. And then I also, but, you know, like you were saying, you know, going to festivals or going to events like these and just talking to people um, and just having face-to-face -face interactions and, you know, having those, like, little postcards with your film or, or a pin or I had one film where it was about mental health and there was peaches. We had like stress balls that looked like peaches and we like passed around and we loved it. Just like little things like I still face-to-face -face interactions are really important because then it can lead to a strong social media quality. That's what I would say personally. Yeah, a film professor that was on our podcast recently said that one of his students said that he goes for auditions now sometimes as an actor. As an actor, he'll go on auditions sometimes. He's been asked how many social media followers do you have. Yeah. Uh, all right, any other? Yeah, go ahead. Question for <clears throat> question is for RJ. Um, I was wondering if you could elaborate on what you were saying earlier about the filmmaker that uh, toured with this film. I was wondering if you could just give a little bit more detail on what you think would be prerequisites on doing that successfully. Like, how did he book those venues? Uh, how would you build an audience for that? Um, stuff like that. Just just really curious about how that would work and how you would do that and not fail. Yeah, so how you do this sort of basically DIY filmmaker self-distribution touring cycle. Um, a lot of patience, a partner that doesn't mind you being away for six to 12 months at a time. Um, Gary is great because he's developed, as I said, with him, it's, it's so specific. And there are a couple other filmmakers who do it, like Sam Green, who's doing this Kronos Quartet documentary, which is super cool. Most of the time I've, I've found that it's uh, either art films or documentaries about some kind of design, or it's LGBT content, or Jewish content. Because those, and I don't know why, but those sections kind of all have a cycle of film festivals and organizations and museums that will all continue to need content throughout the year because they have funders and donors and people who want to go see things. Uh, we worked on the Long Strange Trip, or sorry, Long Strange Trip, the Grateful Dead documentary, and that was exhausting because we were, I felt like we were touring that just like the Grateful Dead. I never got off that movie for like 19 months. It was an ending. But it was a rewarding thing because we kept finding new ways to exploit and find the audience. And sometimes we would screen as part of a concert with somebody else. Sometimes we would screen in San Francisco and bring out one of the band members. Sometimes we'd screen. We screened out to the Rubin Museum because there was a guy who had done a, a giant diorama of a shit, now I can't remember what it was, uh, Mandala, 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 somebody probably knows what it is. Uh, and so we did a screening with Rubin and they charged money and that went back to partially the filmmakers. 
And so you have to always know what the audience is for your film, and that's key, because if that, if they're not a target, museums aren't going to take it, and they aren't going to pay you money because they can't sell tickets. That is the unfortunate reality, and that is the unfortunate reality for filmmakers and festivals and distributors, too. Every single one of us, myself included, uh, we all need to find a way to make money off this stuff. Because if not, then we go to business and then we can no longer help you. And so I need to work with films that I feel like have an audience. And so I take on stuff that I think can I can get into Sundance or I can get into South By. Because if I get them into South By, then I am successful as a business and I get to continue doing what I love doing. So as these museums, they need to cater to that audience. And so finding that definable niche uh, in your film is key. If you, music, music documentaries are a great thing. Like right now, this summer has been the summer of music documentaries. Like they've all been making decent money. We did Marion and Leonard, which was about Leonard Cohen, and Echo in the Canyon's doing really well. Whereas last year was all these personality docs between Ruth, Gator, Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Fred Rogers and Three Identical Strangers and then Finding the Gap. So it was all individual people stories. This year was all music docs. So there's these weird waves, but you'll find that some of them just take on a life of themselves, and Gary just keeps going, and because he now has a name, he can do that. And Sam Green's the same way, and Amir Barlev is the same way, and a couple guys have just developed a niche doing it. Um, so it, it's the subject, though. I really, it, that's where it starts. Cool, thanks. Yep. Uh, any other questions? Uh, all right, go on the hand. How do we pitch you? Do you have a way in contact uh, For me, here's... Uh, Here's what I'll say, uh, and I just had a, a very good friend who I've known for a long time do this, and I was like, oh, come on, you're going to be shit me. Um, yeah. Know your audience in the same way that if you are wanting to get into Sundance, do not try and pitch the programmers during the middle of can. <laughs> if you want to get me to see your movie, don't call me during Toronto. So look at the festival cycle. Know that all of us, I mean, I go to 15 film festivals a year at least. So look at the festival cycle, then reach out to us through our website and basically say, this is my movie, give me like literally the elevator pitch of like, here are three paragraphs, that's all I kind of need. Because right now, I'm looking for that subject, I'm looking for a new voice, a way of telling stories, a way of filmmaking that I can then repeat and make more interesting for you and for the audience. And so, I have probably like right now, I think I have four films that I still have to watch, which I will not get to until September 16th. September 16th, I'm home for a whole weekend. Literally, that's a film festival for me. So I'll watch all four films over the course of two days. And if I see something in it that I think I can do something with, I will help you. If I don't, then there are many other people who do what I do that I will refer you to. I mean, I usually try and find a home for every film that I see. Unless it's just, I, 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 I'm, at a, I'm at a loss. But for the most part, I see everything that is sent to me um, and then we choose what we do based off of our timing. And sometimes, like Sundance, you know, we have, we had six, we have 11 films in Toronto, we had six films, seven, eight films at Sundance, and so at a certain point in time, our slate gets full, and so then I can no longer take on more movies because I just can't, we don't have the staff. And so get to us early, get to us before you get accepted and say, this is my festival strategy, these are who I've already hit up, do you know anybody, can you help me? Some publicists and marketing people don't know film festival programmers. I know them all, so that's kind of why I specialize in festivals. Um, so some will say, oh, I can't help you get into film festival, but call so-and-so. Or others will say, oh, I do Sundance, but I don't do South By, I don't do Berlin, I don't do Cannes. So they may cash off on somebody, a colleague, who does that. So just be reasonable, approach at the right time, 
and be nice. Honestly, like that gets you so far. But what about Celeste? What if somebody has a project they want to try to pitch the Vice or, or Amazon or something? Yeah, I mean, I'd say um, people are pretty open, but honestly, echoing what you said, it's it's really about the subject and, um, yeah, is there an audience? Is it relevant? Um, you know, is there, we're advised right now, we're um, talking to a couple of different partners and pitching them stories and um, I can't get into details, but uh, basically advice pitched one story to a partner and the partner turned it down and then something happened in the news that would have made that story really compelling. Advice is kind of like, listen, we know we're kind of in business for a while, we're in the news business, we had a feeling something might happen, like, you know, trust us with these, these stories. So, um, I guess going back to the question, like, I think it's about the content and the subject and also trying to see the future a little bit. I know that sounds difficult, but sort of trying to see like what's relevant, what's happening, what might be a trend, you know, how can I talk to people, what kind of story am I trying to tell and how does it connect with people and how is it relevant? In the second row there was a question. Hi. Um, I, I wonder, do you do you take a a thing on a film Made, but it wants to be a little longer or wants to be a little bit fixed a little bit, and that's sort of. We still need to learn more. Um, mm -hmm. You know, like in my case, it was just a film that started 20 years ago that I was with girls and whether to grow up. So I think expect. So you think I'm works in progress? I always love to see work in progress slash stuff in post because that helps me plan out for you what to do next. Um, you guys know where you're at in the project and, and how long it's going to take in terms of the edit and whatever else, but if I can look at it and say, all right, well, this is where I feel like you're going to be going and what's your best festival guess, then I can direct you to, okay, this is a documentary. It's about human rights, da da da, and, and specifically one person in particular I'm thinking in my mind. They tried to get into Toronto. The film wasn't ready yet. I saw it and I was like, it's not ready. Like, you shouldn't be in Toronto even if you can get ready for it we should be looking at Sundance Berlin for you because that's where your audience is. They're more focused on news. Toronto is going to get lost because there's 240 films there. Like, nobody's going to see it. So let's pull back, let you guys do some work. And they went back, kind of back to the drawing board and they got this incredible, I wish I could tell you who it is, the most amazing woman to be the narrator. But they wouldn't have done that. They wouldn't have been able to do that had they gone to Toronto kind of not ready. They would have blown their chance of getting this woman who as a very recent Academy Award winner to basically narrate their documentary. That's going to change the entire game, not just for the film festival, but also for the distribution, for the marketing, for the sales, everything. So if I can see stuff in Rough Cut, I can tell you, like, okay, you you tell me on the scale, but my feeling is you're going to be ready for Berlin, you're going to be ready for Hot Docs, you're going to be ready for True False, whatever it is on the doc front. Or you should... I watched something last night called about a sports, the legendary sports figure in the racing field, and I was like, absolutely, pull up, do not do anything, you should be in Tribeca. Because they have a partnership with ESPN, that's where you should go, you will sell your movie out of Tribeca. And they're like, you're totally right. I'm like, yeah, I know, this, I know what I'm doing on this front. Um, so we're kind of going through the edit and changing some things, and now we're going to basically take it to them and say, Tribeca, this, you're the first person we're showing the film to. We would like you to take it. We would like you to give us a world premiere. We'd like you to give us a really big film festival screening in a big theater and bring out the, rider, or the, the racer and do something with the car in front of the theater. I can make those negotiations with the world premiere. As soon as you give away your first one, all the rest are kind of like, eh, 
So your first festival should be your best. It should be fucking amazing. It should be fireworks and cannons and all that stuff because you never get a chance to world premiere again. And once you set the first tone with your reviews, it is really hard for me to basically flip those. So some trade reviewers will not cover certain film festivals and some trade reviewers only cover A, B, and C and only some cover like five films out of Tribeca. Others cover 50. So it depends on which you're you're wanting to get into, I try and help you basically craft the press and the festival strategy to basically get on the right path. Because once you get that right, it's easy. But digging out is really, really hard. So I always watch. For, for works in progress, would you recommend Bone Eye independent film? We can get works in progress section at the festival programmers. Well, works in progress at IAP is different because they're basically doing more of a sort of. Uh, I don't want to use the word workshop because it's already in there, but they're kind of helping you get your projects finished, whereas I work in works in progress in terms of planning and what's next. So I'm not looking to basically change your film drastically. I'll give you some like, tips and tune-ups and whatever else, but IMP can help you bring resources to the table and maybe bring out an advisor or an EP if you need finishing funds or whatever else. I don't do that. I basically come on board and I help you, like, here's the best course of action I can see for your film to get distribution, sales, festivals, etc. Those are different types. Did you have a, a question? Yeah. Are we are we crazy to then try to attempt to get into like South by without a publicist or somebody such as yourself who is going to make everything look that great? If you're, I mean, look, these film festival programmers see thousands of movies every year. They're looking for that discovery. Does it help to have somebody? Absolutely, hundred percent. Because what I'm going to do is I'm going to take your movie. I'm going to look at it and say, for example, we had. Uh, what's the better example? Art of Self-Defense. I don't know if anybody saw it. Alessandro Nivola, Jesse Eisenberg, cool filmmaker Riley Stearns, who had done two films previously. I took it specifically to Jared Nees because Jared is sort of more like the genre nerdy like guy who was going to be into the weird karate black comedy of it all, as opposed to going to Jen Pearson, who's the festival director. Because she's a little more straight-laced. She's more about the celebrity films, like all that kind of stuff. So I went to Jared. I'm like, I want you to screen this first. Jared saw it, he's like, fuck yeah, we want a world premiere, we're done. It was that easy, but I know the programmers, I know their style, I know their taste, I know the festival's taste, and so I can go to the right one, because sometimes what, you'll yeah. have, what will happen is you go submit, and then people just start taking titles off the pile, because there is a pile, it's a very big pile, and if you get sort of three strikes, you're kind of out of the mix, and so I try and get it to at least the first programmer that I know that's going to potentially like it. And sometimes I fuck it up. Sometimes I get totally off base and I go to the next one. But I can make that phone call. And so that's where it's helpful to have somebody on your team. And whether it's a publicist, marketer, festival strategist, sales agent, agent, doesn't matter. But you should have, it's really good to have, not should, it is really helpful to have somebody who is basically making a personalized phone call to someone to get it off the pile. And it's what I do probably an hour a day. Like I have 11 films in Toronto. That's not a coincidence. Like I think seven of those I had a direct hand in screening for the festival. So it's hard, but so. And I just want to add, like I think as a filmmaker, you're exactly right. Like I I know one person who got in the South by Southwest, but it would have. I feel like I would know a lot more people if they had a publicist, and um, I'd say like as a filmmaker, if you can work at a festival or volunteer at a film festival and just get a sense of what it's like to program or you know how it works, just because like even for myself, I'm still learning like 
what each festival is looking for. You know, they, they themselves are like kind of brands or like they're looking for certain types of films consistently and um, just like working in one, you're, you see what it's like to like be a programmer. Yeah. We have a question way in the back. What would your publicity strategy be for if you were to self-distribute? Uh, would it be like four-walling in LA and New York, and kind of hope for the best, or like working out with uh, working out with like a theater chain because like AMC's got like that artisan thing going on right now? I just had experience with that. That's why. Very curious. Yeah, I think the best thing is, I mean, honestly, if you have a ton of money to burn, sure, go theatrical and try and get a couple people to see it in New York and LA, but. If you don't, I would rather get you into a cool distribution deal with like 1091, which used to be the Orchard or Giant Pictures, who's really coming on the scene and doing some cool stuff now, and get you straight onto a VOD platform, and then spend about $25,000 to market it, and do some stuff on social, and do some a publicity campaign so that people are driving to those places to see it. Because I'm sure you guys noticed this, there is way too much content. Like, there are movies that you will never ever see in a million years. Even if there was never a piece of content ever made, you will never be able to go back and see every piece of content. So the part of what we have to do now is take that content and market that content to individuals who might want to see it. And then hopefully you get the right people because then they're going to like it, and then they're going to tell other people, like, this is amazing, you've got to see it. There are two factors that, fought, that do best in terms of getting people to see films. Every time I do an exit survey on when people walk out of theaters, Word of mouth and trailer. Those are the reasons why people see movies. Like editorial is next, uh, or sorry, reviews are next, and then editorial, and then there's something else, and I can't remember what it is there, but always the two highest boxes are word of mouth and trailer. So cut a really good trailer, work with a marketing specialist on that so that you're telling the story that is going to sell to your audience and then deliver on the audience. Because how many times have you been to a movie and you've seen a trailer that completely sold you the wrong movie? And you walk out and you're like, what the fuck was that? And then you have a bad taste in your mouth about the movie and you tell your friends, yeah, the movie was okay, but it was totally not what they sold me. That is a negative. So you need to sell the movie you have in the best possible light and get that trailer to work. And once you can do that, you can get it onto a couple sites, you can put it up on Apple Trailers, you can put it on ComingSoon.com or whatever else. And that will help drive traffic to your VOD sale, or VOD markets platform. So is that a viable market? Sorry, is that a, a viable market for oh, yeah. lean under? Yeah, okay. 100%. We got time for one last question here. All right. Uh, oh, wait, I'm sorry. Yeah, go ahead. One last question in the back. Yes. How far is for an average maker like myself to get a media to so you can take a look at it and how it's going to be. Sorry, can you, can, you, can you repeat that or 
Oh, how to get in touch with someone like both of you to get some, yeah. How to get in touch with with people like our our, our panelists here, yeah. Um, as it sounds maybe clunky, but uh, LinkedIn is kind of useful. Like, um, I don't know, like it's like uh, it's sort of a professional platform, and you know you can see for like this person works in this company. And like, at least for me, I look at my LinkedIn mail, and if someone's like, "Oh, I want to connect," or "I have this idea," or um, "Could you watch this?" You know, I'm you know I myself am still learning, but if someone wants to collaborate, or I can expand my network and, and they email me um, on LinkedIn or they find my email and they email me, that's the best way. Um, but yeah, and I'll always like be open just because like it doesn't matter like you know where you work or where you're at, like we're all, at least for me, like we're all filmmakers, so I want to connect with someone who has a great idea, I will connect with them. And I'm probably either a genius or actually more so an idiot. Uh, my email is on my website. I rarely check LinkedIn. I don't have I have social, but I don't engage with it at all. So go to my website and you can contact me. It's pretty easy. Um, uh, Obscurepictures.com. Yep. All right, in our final minute, one last piece of advice. If you can share any bit of advice, Celeste. Sure. Audience building, marketing your film. Online. Oh, shit. Um, <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I, I'm going to echo one of Celeste's earlier points. Go, go out to a film festival. Go meet people at that film festival. Know that probably the programmers for that film festival don't just do that film festival. They probably program three or four other film festivals. I can tell you even the Sundance programmers, they hop off to another film festival and they do Hot Docs and they do Nantucket and they do Hamptons and they do whatever else. So if your film doesn't get into one film festival, do not be dismayed. The programmers have made a decision that your film probably won't be best served by being at their film festival, but they may take it to another one. I mean, Michael Lerman, who's the director of programming for Toronto, also does Palm Springs. Tom Powers, Toronto, and Powers Tom, and then Doc NYC. Basically, CO Coast does Sundance, and then Doc NYC, and then Nantucket. So make friends with these programmers. Find a way, like, go to a screening. That is the whole point of this. Like, and then after the screening, bypass the filmmaker and go talk to the programmer, because they probably just moderated the Q&A. So you know them. They're in the fucking room. Like, get them and say hello and introduce yourselves to them. Because that is the best way to, like, get... Like, a film made and into a film festival is that perfect connection. Yeah, honestly, I, I would echo that. I'd say, you know, this is a obviously a very network-driven uh, industry, and, you know, it's it's hard sometimes when you have a piece of art that you're making, you know, it's scary to, like, get it out in the world, or, like, you know, you're, depending on your personality, maybe you're not much of, you know, an extrovert or whatever, but, um, but no, you know, it's... Everyone, especially at festivals, is there to see your work or to celebrate everyone else's work. And you know, as you said, a lot of the programmers are really nice, um, and they love films, and they love filmmakers. That's why they're doing that. So yeah, just getting yourself out there, and, um, and also just you know remembering. I'm sure you know everyone has a day job, and you know I'm working at Vice, but I still am trying to stay more creative. You know, involve yourself in your local community. Like, is there a festival you can volunteer at for? you know, a couple weekends and meet a bunch of cool people, or is there um, something else you can participate in and, you know, fulfill your creative passion? You know, just stuff like that to keep yourself involved. Okay, well, thank you so much to our panelists. That's what we're doing. Thank you so much. Thank you.